Well, good morning. Good to see you. This morning while I was shaving, I had a thought looking at myself in the mirror, and I, I thought, what mannerism I just did reminds me of my father. <laughs> and I, I thought about him, and he's, he's been with the Lord for 14 years, but I thought about him while I was shaving. It was a strange experience and thought, I'm my father's son, because he always did that, whatever it was that reminded me of him in that moment. And uh, I was created in the likeness of my father. It was sort of a strange glimpse to start the morning, but I, I thought about him, and I was thinking that today actually is um, the sanctity of human life, Sunday. Often January is a month set aside to think about the sanctity of human life, and it was in my mind that every person born is uh, worthy, uh, created in the image of God, precious life. And we celebrate that together. Um, in a sense, I was created in the likeness of my human father. I have his likeness and gene makeup. But all of us are created in the image of our Father who is in heaven. And life is precious. We believe that. And we remember that from birth to death. Life is endowed because of being created in the image of God with dignity, worth, value, preciousness. And we, being created in the image of God, live in a broken world um, that increasingly removes God from the equation. And today, um, the general theological assumptions which are embraced by our world and society are reduced to what the average person can accept as possible. And the Bible gives a radically different picture of God. But theology tends to settle down into um, accommodate to the basic suppositions of what people will or will not believe. So if people will believe something about God, then that's what becomes acceptable. But the Bible has a great deal to say that it's not acceptable to uh, many people. And we're in this passage in the Gospel of Luke that's going to enter into some new domain for us this morning that I think is going to be wonderfully, and I do mean that, wonderfully challenging. It's going to stretch us a little bit. But we're shaped in the likeness of God, and we are in His image, and we are all broken sinners, right? Yes, you can say, yeah. tell your neighbor they're a sinner. <laughs> but we're redeemed by the grace of Jesus. And that's His purpose, is to, to come into the world 
to take broken sinners and to restore them uh, more and more fully into the likeness of Jesus until we step into heaven and then we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And then no tear, no sorrow, no sin, no cancer, no nothing. We're with him forever. And heaven is a glorious hope. We cannot live without God. We cannot live without heaven. And our text tells us today that we cannot live without an idea of hell. The reason we can't live without hell is because we all have an internal awareness of what is right and just. And we have a longing for things to be made right and a longing for justice. Um, we gladly embrace Christ's teaching about words of comfort and hope and life. And we also have to receive with some due seriousness all of his teachings about justice, righteousness, holiness, judgment, and even hell itself. No one spoke about hell in the Bible more than Jesus did. And today's one of those passages. But I really believe you could leave here with great hope. But all of us, all of us think about the reality of an eternity without God and our hearts get anxious for the ones we love. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will help you see what the Bible says and it will lead you to a sense of prayerful dependence upon God and understand that when the Bible says the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, it, it is the means by which we set our life straight with God and every other thing finds its proper place in our life, but God is first. So, let's roll back into Luke chapter 15 and 16. If you have your Bible, let's open together. Jesus has been on a roll with parables. And the parables have all been aiming in a certain direction that convict America in 2023. And the heart of the passage, uh, perhaps we would say that in chapter 15, Jesus broke into parables about what was lost, culminating in the lost son, the prodigal son, who wanted his father's riches and then wasted them, and his money ran out, and he came home to God, he came home to his father, and his father received him and welcomed him home, and they celebrated, remember? And the older brother wasn't happy, but they celebrated because the prodigal had come home. In chapter 16, there was a rich man who was a manager, and he had a 
uh, a rich man had a manager, and the manager was not an appropriate steward, and he wasted his boss's money. And Jesus goes in that parable to tell this lesson in verse 9 of chapter 16, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous wealth, so that when your money fails, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Today's passage is about eternal dwellings. So there's a progression here. From the beginning of chapter 15 and verse 11 of the prodigal son who wastes money to the steward who wastes his boss's money to the lesson of Jesus to use your money to make friends, be use your wealth to proclaim the gospel, advance his work, and make friends with your wealth so that when you die and are welcomed into heaven, there will be those there whom you have helped get there by your wealth. You, you have led them to know the great God and King, and today we're going to go to heaven. Okay? That's, that's the flow of these three texts. Now, the operating principle that governs all of these together is chapter 16, verse 14. Okay? This is what it says. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's at the heart of all of these parables, and today we come to the last one. I'm going to read it and then we'll go through it. You with me? Are you excited? All right. I'll begin reading verse 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. This rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers 
so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. And now, Father, I pray you will open our eyes that we would hear and see what you have said. And I pray that the Spirit of God will open our hearts to accept the truth of God with joy, to heed it, to be shaped by it. For now in eternity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've said we cannot live without God. We cannot live without heaven. We cannot live without hell. It shapes us and helps us now. This is a parable that Jesus taught. It is a story he made up. And as all the parables, what we want to try to do is to capture the main idea and the main characters help to shape the main idea. Like all parables, we don't take every small detail and press it into reality, but we take what, what is Jesus meaning to say in the context. And that's why I've taken a moment to give you the context that led us all the way up, that Jesus is talking to Pharisees who love money more than they love God. And then he tells this parable. And so the parable has two lives, two destinies, two questions, and two answers. If you want to follow along, that's the way you'll take notes today. So there's two lives. Here's the first lie. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, in typical Jesus style, he tells a beautiful story. It's a great story about a rich man. And it's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, which purple was a luxurious um, garment that only the very wealthy wore because purple was a dye that came from a, a a mollusk in the ocean, and one drop of purple dye was taken from one little, like an oyster, like a, a little sea creature, and the oil, uh, the dye was extracted from it and made into this beautiful purple dye, and then clothing, and only the wealthy wore purple. It was associated with royalty. And he wore purple and fine linen, which um, is underwear, undergarments, that was fine linen. And the idea of it was, it was um, called actually woven air. It's a great name. So it's just what you'd want. It's just the most delicate, beautiful um, linen for his undergarments. And he feasted sumptuously every day. Uh, every day was a banquet. That word feasted sumptuously is the same word that you saw earlier in chapter 15 and verse 23, where the father said when his son had come home, let's kill the fatted calf, let's eat and let's celebrate. And then it's again in verse 25, let's, or verse 24, let's celebrate. Three times it's used in verse 15, and now it's used here. And you have a rich man in purple with linen, just dressed to the max all the time, and every day you get the idea that he's having a party, and he's celebrating 
every day of his life. What's the picture? This is someone who is exceedingly wealthy. He is self-satisfied, self-indulgent. He is meeting all of his needs always for his own good. He's living the good life, the splendid life. He is celebrating every day. Sounds like a good life. And then there's another character, and he's in verse 20 and 21. And at his gate, at the rich man's gate, there was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. There could not be two more different people in the picture and in the story that Jesus is unfolding. Now, the parables are usually anonymous. This is the one parable of Jesus in which one of the characters gets a name. His name is Lazarus. This is the only time Jesus names a person in his parable, which has led some people to say, well, maybe it was a real story. I don't think so. But he gives a name to the poor man who is laid at the gate of the rich man. The word is to be dumped off, dropped off. Which means that you see this poor man who is poor, like the idea is like he's completely destitute. He's crippled and cannot walk. He's dumped at the gate of this rich man. He's covered with sores. I mean, Jesus is telling a story to make us say, ooh. And the dogs are licking the sores. But his name is Lazarus. Anybody know what that means? He whom the Lord has helped. It's a beautiful name. I think it's purposeful that Jesus gives him the name Lazarus, the one the Lord has helped. And he is there waiting for crumbs um, to be fed from the leftover table from the master. I read this week that when they would have great banquets, one of the ways they would eat in first century cultures, they would use bread and they would dip bread and they would sit down at the table together. And there was always leftover bread and bread was used from yesterday for today to wipe your hands. So you'd get fresh bread for today and you'd eat that, dip it, eat it. And uh, then when you needed to wipe your hands, there, there weren't napkins. So you take yesterday's bread and you, you know, the stale bread and you wipe your hands off and drop it under the table. And then the dogs would come and they would eat at the table there and they would eat the crumbs. And out at the gate outside the mansion is this poor man who's just wanting to eat some of those breadcrumbs. I mean, the whole story is meant to say, what a polarization going on here. And the the story, of course, is that this is a story of a great reversal of a man who had everything and thought he was perfect. And a man who had nothing and thought he was hopeless. And the reversal comes in the verses that follow. But these two men are two different lives. Um, one thinking of his riches every day and one thinking of his hardship. Now, in the day, lastly, it was, it was assumed 
that any rich man or woman was made rich because they were right with God and God was blessing them. And the reason you were rich is because you were in tune with God. And the reason that you were poor or crippled was because you were cursed by God. And that was the, it was the first prosperity gospel ever offered. If you're rich, you're blessed. If you're poor, you're out of sorts with God. And God's going to set things straight. So there's two destinies, and it comes in the next verses. The two destinies. Verse 22, the equalizer for all of us. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. This man with a name, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. There's no burial for him in the story that Jesus is telling. Angels come and they carry him all the way into the presence of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a friend of God, and Lazarus is a friend of Abraham. And the picture is that suddenly this poor man is died and left this life and entered into eternity, and he is standing or shall I say reclining is the picture, at a banquet table at the side of Abraham. Abraham's bosom. Why Abraham's bosom? That's a, a strange way the Bible used to talk about it. It's because when you would lay down at the banquet table, you would recline on your left arm, and the next person would be there, and you'd be right next to each other eating at the table. And here is the poor man right next to Abraham, which is a place of honor. There is no greater hero of the faith than Abraham. And at a banquet in the place of prestige, here is this pathetic person has been ushered into heaven next to Abraham. What a reversal, huh? But the rich man also died. And he was buried. And I imagine it was a great burial. The idea is that there, all of the people came to pay him respects. And there was a great burial. But in Hades, he is in eternal judgment. And being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. The rich man is, is buried, but he goes immediately to be in a place of torment that the Bible refers to, Jesus is describing, as Hades. Now, this is what we would want to say when we think about all of the uh, particularities of the parable. W which ones would we say, well, that's certainly true, that's certainly true, that might not be true. And I think here's a couple that might help. Number one, what seems to absolutely be true in the story is that the personalities of both individuals survive death. And they are both conscious where they are in their personality, where they are assigned. And death is final and it's fixed, but there really is consciousness. I don't think that what Jesus is suggesting is that seeing heaven from hell is going to be the normal experience. Or that calling out and talking to Abraham is going to be the common experience. Or making a plea from, uh, for someone from hell in heaven is going to be normal. 
But what you have here is the rich man who in and of himself was religious, was self-satisfied, self-indulgent, a lover of mercy. You will notice that he was merciless to Lazarus who was at his gate every day and never cared for the outcast. And he clearly rejected the law and the prophets as we're going to see. This is not an account that Jesus is saying that poor people go to heaven and rich people go to hell. Abraham was wealthy, wealthier than anyone. He was immensely wealthy. This is not a question about economics that Jesus is teaching here. I think, as you will see, what Jesus is going to underscore is that you cannot serve God in money which he said last week as we looked at that text. And only those for whom God is their Savior will be with him in eternity. There are two lives and there are two destinies. And the destinies in the parable of Jesus is a great reversal from what happened on earth. By the requests that are made, we get some greater understanding. So there are two requests. The first is in verse 24. From Hades, a place of torment, the rich man called out, Father Abraham. I believe he used that because he was relying on his heritage and his family line, which he assumed would be sufficient to have him enter into the kingdom of heaven. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Did he have mercy on the poor man at his gate? No. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. There's a couple observations I would make. The rich man absolutely knew who Lazarus was. He knew his name. He'd been at his gate. He saw him. And he walked past him, but he knew who he was. And there's something in the mind of this person who is in Hades, in judgment, in torment, away from the presence of God, who says, have mercy on me. Will you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and just give me one drop of water? Do you realize what? What the rich man does not ask for in his first request? Get me out? The rich man has no remorse. He has no repentance. He has no regret. He has no change. And in his attitude, he still thinks of Lazarus as one who should serve him. Will you send him to help me tell him to do this? Now, the picture, I think, is meant to give an expression about the horrors of hell that to be in this place is a place of torment that one small drop would help. But I get the impression here that hell is not intended to be remedial. 
He is there as He is with what He has chosen. So, verse 25, Abraham says, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. He's comforted here, and you're in anguish. You had many blessings, and they could have led you to faith, but instead those blessings led you to indulgence, they led you to self-satisfaction. It should have made you love and worship the source of every blessing. But you turned it in on yourself. You turned it upon your own consumption. And you were your own God. And money was your God. You loved money and not God. And you loved that which was an abomination in the sight of God. From verse 15. You, you should have, but you didn't. And so there in... In hell, he uh, receives a tender word. Child, remember, this was what you did. And 26, further, Jesus in the parable says, and besides this, between us and you is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who would pass between here or there are not able, and none may cross over from there to us. It's worse. There's a chasm now. And what Jesus underscores is there is a great gap between when you die and you enter into eternity, there is a chasm between where you are, rich man, and where Lazarus is. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, and it is fixed. Jesus is laying out the certainty of eternal life and eternal judgment and, and it's a great reversal from what was anticipated. First request is, would you just send him down to help me? And the answer was no. Now, some people have thought that the one redeeming feature of the rich man is in the next verse. And the next verse, verse 27, is the second request. And he said, well, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. Father Abraham. Send Lazarus, there he is again, would you just, he wants to boss Lazarus around. Tell Lazarus to do this, go to my father's house, for I have five brothers, maybe a glimmer of compassion, that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Let's just stop there. Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The brother, the rich man wants to save his brothers from experiencing what he is experiencing. That should soak in. And his solution is to send Lazarus with the idea that if someone rose from the dead and came back to life, they would certainly hear from him. But Abraham, or Jesus' reply is, they already have what they need. The rich man is saying, if I had only known, if I had only had information, if God had only given me what I needed, information about how to escape eternal judgment, then I would be good. But Jesus says through Father Abraham, it's in the Law and the Prophets. It's all right there. And that's exactly what the Bible affirms for us, that these words of Jesus 
Um, all of the Old Testament point to Jesus. John, um, I'm forgetting the text, I think it's 537, says, you search the Scriptures daily that you may learn about me. All of the Old Testament prophets speak of me. And the Law and the Prophets would have been enough to point that there was a Messiah coming who would be the rescuer, who would lead people into eternal life. They have the Law and the Prophets, which teach us to love God and love our neighbor. And you loved yourself, and you despised your neighbor who was at your gate. You missed it. And he's arguing still. The rich man says, verse 30, No, Father, if somebody comes from the dead, they'll repent. And he knows, you'll see in verse 30, that repentance is what his brothers need. And he thinks that it will happen if someone is resurrected from the dead. And again, Father Abraham says, verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And who is he speaking of? He's speaking of himself. And many didn't believe in him. Now listen, this is not a story about working your way into heaven by doing good or being indulgent. It is about loving things that your heart just turns into something. Again, the operating principle of verse 14 and 15 and 16 is you love the things that are an abomination to God. What God hates, you love, and God, you despise. You love money more than God. It's a very strong condemnation. It's not karma that what comes around here hurts you later. It's, um, it's a word from Jesus. To build our lives apart from God is a judgment. Now, we, we look at this passage and we say, well, what actually happened to the rich man? The rich man got just what he wanted. C.S. Lewis has said something that really helps as we think about this. He said, in the long run, the answer to the question, uh, the, to answer those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. Many people object to the idea of eternal punishment. But what is the question? What is it that they are asking God to do? To wipe out past sins at all costs and give them a fresh start? Everybody, he did that on the cross through Christ. Is it to forgive them? But they don't ask for forgiveness. To leave them alone? That's what hell is. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. It's another way to look at what's happening. My life was me. Money. Things. And this poor man lived by his identity. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. The Lord, help me. Listen, this is a super challenging parable in which the Lord, 
is going at the heart of people who loved things that God hated. And they said, if I only had more information. And Father Abraham says, no, the law and the prophets are there. Everything that Moses said is enough to lead you to know, to love God with all your heart. And the prophets turn away from evil and cling to the deliverer. That's what the Scriptures teach. And this place of torment, is it real? Well, it's described in the Bible as being a place of darkness, a place of fire, a place of torment, a place of horrible torment. But the way that Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians is simply helpful as a metaphor that summarizes some of this, that those who, who reject Christ will suffer punishment in eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from His glorious might. What eternal judgment is in its essence is isolation from the God who has been isolated from life. And the picture of the rich man is loving everything else and building his life on everything else away from God and then getting what he has chosen in eternity. I have to tell you this because it's here. And Jesus told it in order to call us, I think, to acknowledge that the king is here, the kingdom is here, and, and we follow Christ, not the things of this world. And, and eternity is right before us. I was talking with someone before church, and we were talking about folks who haven't come back after COVID, and um, somebody mentioned, well, they don't want to come back because they're afraid they might get COVID and die. And I said, well, they, they are going to die. We all are going to die. And if you don't hear Jesus in the most compassionate way tell this, this critical story to say, what road will you choose? Then we miss that the king is saying, come, come to me. One has died and come back to life and announced Whosoever believeth on me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And yet, there was a group of people who kept loving the wrong things. Jesus said, you, you get what you choose. Let me close with this last glimpse that comes from Acts chapter 6, verse 7. When... Luke tells the second edition of his chronicle of the history of Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it simply says that the preaching about the resurrected Jesus kept going about all around Jerusalem, and a great many people came to faith. And among them, a great many priests, Pharisees, money lovers, they repented. I love that there's a picture. And there's still time. I guess this is what we would say. 
Because who can hear this without thinking of the loved ones in our life and the friends in our life? And we think, is there really Jesus saying there is an eternal life away from the presence of God? Whose heart is not grieved at that? Whose heart does not long for our loved ones, our family members, our friends, and say, do you know Christ? Do you know? And then we look at these two examples and say, oh, well, that's definitely somebody who's going south. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah, they're going up. And we just say, we don't know that. We don't know. This is God's work. This is God's work to know the heart. You'd look at those two, and you probably would look at the rich guy. I mean, let's face it. Would you rather be the rich man or the beggar? Yeah. None of us would choose that. It doesn't matter what your life circumstances are. What does it matter? What matters is right here. Okay. I'm going to close in prayer. I'll be here if you have questions. But why don't we stand together as we close? Was it heavy? A little bit. These are the words of Jesus. You, you can hear from Jesus and say, okay, this is serious stuff. What will we do with it? Probably all of us are thinking, I want to make sure somebody in my life knows this, this is a story of Jesus. Here's how you can have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, Thank you for words like this from a Savior who loves us where we are. You created us in your image. You see us in our brokenness. You know we have loves that rival our love for you. Lead us to repentance by your goodness and the hope of heaven. Speak to us in the anxiety of our soul for the ones we love who are marching through life without awareness, apparently, that there is an eternal reckoning of this life. And will you just give us an earnestness to share the love of God and commit to your good care, you who said to the rich man, child, say to all people, Child, listen, the Scriptures point to Jesus. Make us people of the Word. Make us people who love Jesus. Make us people who proclaim the good news of the Gospel. And we look forward to the day that we shall step across and be in glory and see you as you are for all eternity. Strengthen us by these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.